From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. As August approaches, parents around the country, myself included, are worrying about whether or not school will reopen for the upcoming academic year. And when I scroll through my parenting Facebook groups, it's obvious that many are appalled at the idea that school could open for in-person learning. I personally believe that there are parents out there who feel just as strongly about their kids going back to in-person learning, but are afraid to speak out. Just one mention of the low transmission rate in children, and all of a sudden you're a villain who doesn't care about teachers or the elderly. And then, of course, politics makes it all even more complicated. But here's the thing. No matter what President Trump or the teacher unions say, shouldn't it be science that helps each school district and parent make the best decision for their child? Well, more and more experts agree that science says it's safe to send kids back as long as new guidelines and safety measures are in place. NBC Nightly News recently did a special with Dr. John Torres. He talked with five pediatricians from around the country, some from prestigious universities like Vanderbilt and Stanford. At the end of the segment, he asked them if they would be comfortable letting their kids go back to school. Here's their response. I will. My kids are looking forward to it. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I can. (laughs) Without a hesitation. Without a hesitation, yes. I have no concerns about sending my child to school in the fall. I would let my kids go back to school. Dr. John Torres, NBC News. Today, we too will be talking to a doctor. Dr. Kevin Pham, a medical doctor and visiting fellow at Heritage, is going to explain why he believes in-person schooling would actually be one of the safest activities to reopen in America. Our conversation, right after this short break. Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. Dr. Pham, you've recently wrote that in-person school would be one of the safest activities for America to reopen. Do you mean that perhaps instead of opening up gyms and restaurants and some of the other things that people debated opening up, that actually opening our schools would have been safer to start with? Right. So all of us want to eventually get to some semblance of normalcy back in our lives. And when we're looking at different activities to open or to to remain closed, then it makes a lot more sense to reopen the schools, especially this fall, as opposed to bars. Because if you look at these two things, the the what you do in a bar is you go up to the bar and shout your orders right next to other people, and you're you're loud, you're in close proximity, and you're not really trying to prevent the spread of your respir- respiratory droplets or your respirations. Let's just put it this way. The bars are not a very good place if you want to control disease. And I'm still talking about COVID-19, of course. Whereas with schools, what we're seeing with more and more evidence is that children are at the lowest risk of transmitting the disease. They're at lowest risk of developing severe disease. And they're at the lowest risk of even contracting the virus in the first place, it seems. So the children are at low risks 
and um, they're at low risk of being physically in the schools, but they have real risk of being kept isolated at home. So it seems to me that just as a society, it makes the most sense to to try to reopen the schools first. At least that should be a higher priority than, than for instance, gyms and bars, as you had mentioned. Yeah, that um, when you put that comparison side to side, it totally makes sense. In your op-ed, you stated that there were some pretty interesting studies on this as well. For example, a study from Japan found that the infection rate for COVID in people younger than 20 was just 5.5%. How does that compare to older adults? So the older adults, they have higher rates of getting the virus. So they're about four times more likely to be infected by the virus. And these are the study in Japan looked at households. And so these are people who are within the same area who were exposed to the same uh, people who are who tested positive. And what they found was children were much, much less likely to um, compare to adults to get the get the disease. The, the rate is not zero. So children are not invincible to this disease. They just seem to be, um, for some reason, more resilient to to getting it in the first place. So a lot of people argue that even those low percentages are too much to risk in opening the schools. What would be your response to that? Um, I, I completely understand that if um, I don't have children. But uh, when I look at my, my nieces and nephews, like what is the amount of risk that I'm willing to put them through? The answer is zero if I have, a, if I have any say about it. But you know, if we're trying to craft policy, we can't look at the that the um, the worst case scenario and make that the general policy because we also deal with influenza every year and that's that is that is more dangerous to children than is uh, COVID nineteen it seems and then also we 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 let children play in pools that's responsible for several hundred deaths a year and you know we take we take risks all the time it's just that. Um, it's just that we've learned to live with them as part of our daily lives. And if you're, if you're crafting policy, then it has to incorporate all of the risks together, not just the, the outlier. When we're, when we're looking at one child, then we could be like, okay, I want, to, I want to protect this child as much as I can, so this is what I'm going to do. Does that mean I'm going to send my kid to school, or does that mean I'm going to keep my kid at home where he can't play with his friends or something like that? You know, there are risks either way. And... Um, as I had mentioned before, with um, with keeping children at home, a lot of times that means that they're not getting their normal social interactions because most of their friends are through school. So if we keep them at home, then they're exposed to other dangers such as the lack of socialization, um, mental health, uh, and just uh, just a normal routine as part of their lives. And so they run that risk too. Uh, and that risk is much greater for every student than is the gr- the risk of even contracting the disease at school. So I've also heard from some people that we can't use other countries' studies because their responses to the virus were different than ours. Is there any merit to that? Well, whenever we look at a study, then we always, we always have to try to find what is most transferable to other situations, what's, most, what's the most generalizable aspect of that study. And even if our societal response is different, although I don't think our response is that much different from, say, Australia, but... If we try to take as much as we can from them, what other countries have done in their schools is follow certain guidelines that they, they actually look a lot like the um, the guidelines set forth by the American Academy of Pediatricians. But it's such things as like keeping uh, classrooms together. So rather than during lunch, rather than going out to play with the entire school, then you, you only play inside of your class. And then having lanes of traffic uh, go in one direction rather than um, 
having two two directions of traffic, that just minimizes the number of, um, of of interactions or exposures, potential exposures. And so there are, there are certainly things that we can do and things that we can implement. But if you're talking about the what happens outside of the school, then that doesn't matter so much when you got when once you get inside of the school. What matters outside of the school is really the the general rate of transmission. If it's really high, then then it might be better to keep everyone at home, um, because the process of taking your kids to school, you're interacting with a lot of um, other people too. So that that just increases things. So every locality should be making their decision themselves. If not at the school level, then at the district level or at the county level or at the city level, the decision should be as local as is plausible or as is possible. But overall, there are a lot of things that we can learn from the studies that are around the world, by the way. The schools have been opening all over uh, Europe. Study that I had mentioned was in Australia. The first one we talked about was in Japan. We had uh, recommendations to reopen from the American Academy of Pediatricians, as well as the um, the Royal College of Pediatrics in the UK and the the National Institute for Public Health in um, in the Netherlands. Uh, the Danish schools have been open since April, and they haven't noticed any major spikes that can be traced back to the schools. So this has been going on throughout the world, and there's a lot of data supporting the idea that we should reopen our schools. Yeah, I think that's also a really good point to make and something that Heritage's National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, which you were a part of, that although we do say that we think kids should go back to school, it doesn't mean we're just pushing them out the door and not putting necessary precautions there. We do recommend masks and that each school has a plan based off of the disease, how bad the infection rate is in their district. Okay. Let's jump to another huge part of this debate, and this is, I think, where it starts to get really intense, and I've seen a lot of back and forth in social media about this, and that's teachers and faculty. I know a lot of teachers. I worry about their health, but I also know that there are grocery store workers and other professions that are putting themselves on the front lines as well. What does the science and data tell us about the risk to teachers? Well, the science tells us that if there's anyone at risk in a classroom, it's probably going to be the teachers. And we cannot forget that because these are the people that we've asked to teach our children for the most part. So <clears throat> the teachers the teachers should be the ones who receive most of the attention as far as interventions go. It, I think it's completely reasonable to ask students to wear face masks or face shields or do the thing where they walk in one direction down a hallway rather than both directions. This is, this is mostly aimed at protecting the teachers because they're going to be the ones who are at the most risk or at the highest risk in the schools of getting not just the virus, but also more severe disease manifestations. So our intervention should be targeted towards them and not at, not at the children, because we, we want to punish the children the least amount uh, as far as this goes. So, you know, staff areas, areas where you're interacting with one adult to the next adult, you might, you, you might close those down or you might have mass requirements inside or, um, or you might just cancel like staff meetings and stuff like that parent-teacher conferences, for instance, that should probably be done electronically. I don't see a good reason that you have to have that in person while, we're, while we have this pandemic going. Um, and the teachers who, are, who have you know, existing health conditions that would predispose them to severe disease or, um, or just are older, then I think that they should, be, they should be accommodated in some ways. So they could, for instance, teach, um, teach the higher grades and teach electronically, or they can be assigned to other, other, other duties. Or... Um, or they can have uh, they can do some kind of sessions outside outdoors where there's there's more spacing and they're just outdoors where there's less transmission. There are a lot of ways that we can accommodate everyone, and we should be trying to accommodate all our teachers and what concerns them the most. But 
again, the most important thing in the school is, you know, we, we love our teachers, but the most important thing in the schools are the, are the students. Right. And you also mentioned in the report that um, another reason that schools would be one of the safest things to reopen, I think you mentioned the average age of teachers in America was 40. Exactly. The, the average age was around the 40-year-old mark. And there, obviously, that means that there are a bunch of teachers who are older. But just the way it's distributed, then I think over 80% of the teachers are going to be younger than the, the high-risk uh, age groups. And, um, and it just gets smaller as you get older. There's, most teachers are starting to retire. I mean, the, most, the highest mortality rate is among the group that's 65 and older. So that's, that's already retirement age. And most teachers are, are going to be younger than that. So that should, be, that should be at least a little bit reassuring that if the worst thing happens and a teacher gets COVID-19 from either another teacher, a parent, or even the student, it's possible. Um, even if they do, then it should be at least a little reassuring that they're not at risk for the, the worst manifestations, or they're at least at low risk of the worst manifestations of this disease. Again, that having been said, the risk is not zero, so we should try to protect them. But uh, at least on the far side of this risk equation, then it's not, um, it's less likely to be uh, the worst outcome. Dr. Pham, in conclusion, there was a line that you wrote that I really loved, and it, it was that um, state and local governments should try to resume classroom learning in the fall, and it's important that they not let perfect be the enemy of good. Can you explain what you meant by that? Sure. When, <clears throat> when we ask our students to wear masks or face shields in classroom for you know, five, six, seven hours a day, that is something that is probably not going to happen at the first, second, and third grade level, much less a kindergarten or pre-K level. Uh, children are not going to be very good with compliance with some of these uh, with these guidelines that we want. But even if they can't, then that shouldn't stop us from having them in school. That having been said, if a school doesn't feel like it's ready, then um, they should school should try to be open. But if they just cannot get it to a safe place, they shouldn't be forced to. But all of our efforts should be focused on getting children's lives to normal as soon as possible. If we can't hit all of the guidelines, then that should be okay. That shouldn't stop us from having our children have some sort of a normal life again. And that comes with uh, their parents as well, who could also go back to work helping our economy as well. Absolutely. This is the, the first concern is going to be the students. The second concern is going to be the families. And school, school life for children is such an important part for the family life as well. And so all of these come together to protect really the most important part of society, which is the family unit. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of your work on this, Dr. Pham. And hopefully we can have you back on soon as we start to see how this pans out in the fall. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And that wraps up another episode of Heritage Explains. Dr. Pham's article is linked in the show notes. I want to know what you think about this issue. It's a really big deal to me as a parent handling what this pandemic is throwing at us. So please find this episode on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and leave a comment and let me know if you feel safe opening up schools. You can also comment on Apple Podcasts as well. Tim is back recording in his mom's closet next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.